Well, this is quite a pleasure to be with you. Um, and, and, and there's many reasons for that. Um, so I want to officially say good morning, church. I love, to, I love to greet a church in the morning and say hello. Um, I first want to thank you all for your warm welcome. That applies not only to students, but to, to all of you. Um, I feel very, very welcomed here. Classic Southern hospitality is on display. Um, I also want, to know, want you to know that I come with greetings from the Richardson family. Nick, Jenna, and Ava, they all send their love. Thank you, church. Thank you for your sacrifice in sending them to the pastor's college. We are really enjoying getting to know them, and we are deep in consideration right now about whether we will send them back. So, oh, I'm kidding, kidding. Don't run me out of town. Um, I'm very happy to be here because Charleston feels like home to me. Um, I was born in the Charleston Naval Hospital, lived here a couple of years. My dad was in the Navy. The entire time he was in the Navy, lived in Charleston. He got out of the Navy, then we started moving. Makes no sense. So we moved around a lot growing up. So for me, Charleston still feels like home. My sister, my nephew, they live in Mount Pleasant. And for us, Charleston's just always been a center of gravity. So um, I have driven here many times, often our check-in, check-out day on our on our beach house is on Sunday, so it's actually never worked out for us to come to church, but as we drive by, I pray for you often because of my affinity for Charleston. I have great love for you already in my heart. And one of the joys of being a part of a Sovereign Grace church, part of our denomination together, is that we can visit other cities. And just like this, we find brothers and sisters who are united in the same vision for serving the Lord Jesus Christ and making much of Him, delighting in the gospel, proclaiming the gospel to our community, raising the next generation to know and love the Lord. I love that. And so C.S. Lewis described the kind of camaraderie that marks Christian friendship. And he said, friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. That's how friendship works. And I have that you too experience here because I find a whole church full of people who are passionate about the same thing. And I've had that in every Sovereign Grace church that I've visited. And it's a delight to find other churches who love the doctrines of grace, who are eager for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, who are building cultures of grace and godliness in the church and in their homes. And so at Sovereign Grace Church of Louisville, every Sunday, we pray for another church in our city and another Sovereign Grace Church around the country. So we have prayed for you many times, and I know that just in a short while, they'll be praying for you again because I'm here. And so you are in our hearts. So I come with greetings from an entire church full of people who, if you could meet them right now, they would be quick to say, what, you too? They feel, we feel our friendship and our love for you. So would you open up your Bibles, please, to Psalm 78. If you are new to the Bible, this will be pretty easy. Just open to the middle. Let the thing fall open. You'll probably hit the book of Psalms. And then just look for the big numbers. They're in order. Work your way to the num number 78, and you'll be there. While you're turning there, I'll tell you that one of the biggest surprises I've had as a parent is how much my children have enjoyed hearing stories that Nicole and I tell them of our childhoods. Uh, I don't think my childhood is very exciting. I don't think I'm a particularly interesting person, but somehow my kids love these stories. I guess it shouldn't surprise me because of how much my two sisters and I loved hearing the stories that my parents would tell us. I loved my dad's stories of the Navy. Uh, 
I, I could listen to those kind of stories all day long. My sisters, believe it or not, would sometimes get bored with tales of engine rooms and celestial navigation. I'm not sure why they weren't, weren't, weren't interested in that. But my mom's stories, no one could ever grow tired of. My mom is a, was a consummate storyteller, uh, a fantastic storyteller. We loved, we loved to hear her stories. We loved to hear the story of the time that my uncle Clifton tried to teach mom to play golf. And on her backswing, mom caught Clifton right in the head with a nine iron, knocked him out cold. <laughs> Wonderful. Fantastic story. The way she told it was the best. Now, we love the story of the time when, when mom and dad got married just up the road in Newberry, South Carolina. Uh, in June, in a heat wave, in a church with no air conditioning, my grandfather, being the intrepid man that he was, rounded up all the big fans in Newberry that he could find, set them up, plugged them in all around the church. And at the critical moment, as the doors open and my mom steps into the sanctuary, her veil, right into one of these fans. And Pop Pop had to rescue her. It's okay, they got married. Everything worked out all right. Or the time that my mom, as a 16-year-old, driving with her newly minted driver's license right down Main Street of Newberry, behind a police officer. This officer pulls over and parks on the side of the road, and at just the right moment, or perhaps just the wrong moment, depending on how you look at it, throws open his door. Mom catches it with the bumper of the car, lays it flat against the door, uh, against the front of the police car. Mom just parks right in the middle of the street, doesn't know what to do. Police officer gets out of the car, doesn't say a word to her, happens to be right in front of the little store my grandfather managed, walks right in, says, Stephen, need to have a conversation about Nancy's driving. <laughs> These stories, they shaped us. These stories, they passed on to my sisters and I, our, our family culture. They gave us a, an understanding of who we are as Whitakers and how we got here. And now we're doing the same thing for our children. It turns out that we are tapping into a long tradition of generational storytelling. People have long recognized the power of story to shape the hearers. Go back about 300 years. There was an 18th century Scottish politician named Andrew Fletcher who is attributed with the saying, let me write the songs of a nation, and I care not who makes its laws. He understood that even through song, if you tell the story, you shape the people. Go back further, maybe about a thousand years. The Anglo-Saxon word for poet is this word, shope, spelled S-C-O-P in our language, shope. It's a word that in normal usage meant to create something or to bring something out. And the modern word shape comes from this old Anglo-Saxon word for poet because they recognized that stories shaped people, shaped their character their perceptions, their affections. And so we would be wise to pay attention to the stories that we tell too. Today we're going to look at Psalm 78. This is a psalm that is based around generational storytelling. It's a psalm that tells stories to shape generations to come. And when the fathers of our faith start telling their family stories, what we get is the history of the saving works of God. It turns out that storytelling is one of the ways that God intends to pass on the central truths of the gospel 
to generation after generation after generation. Now, Psalm 78 is 72 verses long. It's the second longest psalm in the Psalter. So we're not going to read the whole thing this morning. I highly recommend that in the next day or two that you take some time, sit down with Psalm 78, and just read it right through. The first eight verses provide kind of an introduction to the main themes that will emerge throughout the rest of the psalm. So by reading these eight verses, we're going to get an introduction to the whole thing. The rest of the psalm is basically uh, an extended illustration of what shows up in these first eight verses. So we're going to read the first eight verses. I'm going to read them. Please follow along, and then we'll pray and ask for God's help. Psalm 78, a masculine of Asaph. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob. He appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have brought us here this morning that we might see with our eyes and hear with our ears and set our hearts upon all that you show to us. Would you be pleased this morning to bless the preaching of your word and its hearing and its doing in all our hearts. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom we love with all our hearts. Amen. Amen. So here's the big idea of Psalm 78. As we just read, this is what this boils down to. The stories that we tell to the next generation about God shape the next generation and their love for God. It's kind of a clunky sentence, so let me say it again. The the, the stories that we tell to the next generation about God shape the next generation and their love for God. And we're going to look at these eight verses and see how these eight verses make that point. And we're going to do this in three steps. We're going to do this in three parts. The first is in the first three verses. Verses one through three describe the mandate. So if you're a kind of note-taking person, point one here is the mandate, tell the coming generation. As Christians, we have a mandate, tell the coming generation. This psalm opens with a call for attention. Look at what it says in verse one. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. And he explains why in verse two, because I'm about to tell you something. That's what he says. (laughs) I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter sayings from of old things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. He says that he will open his mouth in parables and dark sayings. We need to think about what this means. Dark sayings here mean that they are truths that are opaque or otherwise unknown. We haven't learned yet. Don't think, they're not morbid. Don't think Edgar Allan Poe here. These are are riddles, things that are locked up. Parables, riddles, dark sayings. Here's a way to think about it. They're stories 
from the past that have meaning for the present that prepare us for the future. That is what he's doing that, in, in opening his mouth to speak about these things. And he explains in verse 3, these are things that we have heard and known, things our fathers have told us. So in verse 4, we will not hide them, but we will tell them to the coming generation. So Asaph, the writer of this psalm, is inviting everyone who reads Psalm 78 and all of us who hear it, who now we have it in our Bibles, he's inviting us to join him in telling the coming generation. So this psalm presents all of us with a mandate. It's a call to join every previous generation of God's people in telling the coming generation so that he might shape that coming generation into another generation of people for him. That's what Psalm 78 does. We're not just commanded, we're invited to join. And what this means is that the stories in the Bible, they're not just filler, they're not just entertaining. They're not just random scraps of a historical record. The entire book, this whole thing is one big story of God's plan of redemption and salvation in Christ Jesus. And think about the ways that this book has shaped you. Think about the ways the stories, chapters, and even entire books of the Bible have changed who you are and shaped who you have become. So just a couple examples. Think about, think about how the book of Ruth has shaped your confidence that God is sovereign over every disappointment and difficulty in life. Think about how the book of Exodus has shaped your awareness of God's desire to have a people for himself and to dwell in their midst with them. Think about how the book of Acts has shaped your sense of the importance of God's church to make the gospel known to individual communities, and to the entire world. Think about how the book of Ephesians has helped you to see more clearly how the grace of God to sinners like us has come through His wisdom and sovereignty in election. These are stories that have shaped our love for God. We could go on and on through every book of the Bible, and you could probably think of ways that this book has changed who you are. And so the mandate of this psalm is to tell stories to the coming generation in order to shape their love for God. Now, I I imagine that the more I talk about the next generation, there could be some people, some of you perhaps, who, who think, oh, I see, I get it. This is a sermon about parenting. Well, since I don't have kids, since I'm not a parent, I can just plan the afternoon, think about the football game, lunch, whatever else. So, no, not, not, so, not so fast. <laughs> this psalm teaches us that telling the coming generation is the responsibility of all God's people. This is something churches do together. This is a job for all God's people, and I can prove it. Look at verse 1. He says, give ear, O my people. O my people. Asaph doesn't begin by addressing only fathers and mothers. He'll get there, but he doesn't start there. He doesn't say, listen up, dads. He says, give ear, O my people. And so God, through Asaph, is addressing all of us together as a church, whether you have children or not. According to Asaph, the proclamation of the gospel to the next generation is the responsibility of all God's people. So if you don't have children, or if your children have grown up and moved out, this psalm is still for you. 
and just listen to the pronouns that he uses. He begins with first-person singular pronouns. Oh, I'm sorry, the, the technical grammar talk here. I taught fourth and fifth grade grammar at a little school last year, and it's strangely enough, I love it. Um, but he, he begins, my teaching, the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth. I will utter dark sayings. And in verse 3, he suddenly switches to the plural. So what he says, these are things that we, oh people, we have known. We have heard and known. Things our fathers told us, we will not hide them from their children. We, 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 our, us. This is us, right? Passing on the gospel is a responsibility that we share. So if you don't have children, there are many ways that you can do this. If your children have grown up and moved out, there are many ways that you can do this. One of the best things that you can do to pass on the gospel to the next generation, if you don't have children of your own, is to live a faithful Christian life. Even if you're not around these children very often, other than being in the same room with them every Sunday, you, as you live out the gospel in faithful community with other Christians, you are providing an example that validates, that proves true everything those parents are saying to their children. Your faithfulness as a Christian models something for the coming generation. I can't tell you how many times we have sat around our kitchen table, our dining table, at eating dinner or something, talking about some virtue. You know, we're, I got four kids. We're, we're always like, hey, be godly, all right? Um, we talk about this all the time, and we'll be talking about some specific virtue. We want to help our kids understand what does it mean to be a servant? It's one we have to talk about a lot in our house. Maybe you do too. And one of the best ways we can do that is point to people in the church. There's a couple in our church we talk about all the time, Arnie and Dawn Bear. They're in their 60s. They got married a little bit later in life. And they are, they're one of these couples that they are, they're here, they're there, they're everywhere. They're serving in the church every time you turn around. Arnie is our facility manager. He's one of these guys that can do anything. He has worked as a diesel mechanic all the way to a jewelry repairman and everything in between. He's been a carpenter. He's worked in a machine shop. There is nothing Arnie can't fix. And every time you turn around, he is fixing a widow's car. He is up on somebody's roof. He is making things better around our church. And Dawn, she comes from Mennonite stock. The woman can cook. And she she, oh yeah, priest brother. So she comes, she comes to every church event, man, with a whole platter full of cupcakes. And I mean, even the like ladies meetings, what I hear is even the, the, the sweetest of the elderly ladies in our church are throwing elbows to get to these cupcakes. She is serving, they are serving constantly. And so we're telling our kids, guys, our, 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 our Mr. and Mrs. Bear servants, they're like, yes, they can see it. it. It's one thing for us to tell them, hey, go be servants, but they can see Arnie and Dawn laying down their lives, using the gifts that God has given them to serve others. They get it. They get it. Arnie and Dawn don't have children of their own, but man, are they passing on the gospel to the next generation. It's wonderful. The church, I know there's many ways that you are doing this too. So together, the church is called to pass on the gospel to the next generation. But Asaph does eventually get to dads. He does address fathers. And so the family... Telling, telling the coming generation is a community responsibility, but even more, it is the, the responsibility of families and especially the duties of dads. In verse 3 and verse 5, Asaph mentions fathers and their role in telling the coming generation. And so this is a responsibility we all share, but he addresses fathers. And so fathers, we have a job to do. 
Dads, we have a responsibility to set the tone, to set the pace, to build a culture, to lead our families in godliness. That may mean leading them in Bible reading, leading them in prayer, leading them in family devotions. And, you know, family devotions can work a lot of different ways. We, um, we, we tried doing family devotions about every possible which way you can do it. We tried doing singing in our family devotions exactly one time. And anybody sitting kind of in this area understands why, <laughs> hearing me sing uh, this morning. Um, it didn't work for us. We spent a lot of time reading the Bible. Mostly, we just spent a lot of time talking about it. And I'm sure there's many ways that you are doing this already. Um, one of the best ways, dads, that we can lead our families and we can preach the gospel to the next generation is to train our children into habits of Bible reading and habits of consumption of God's Word. Many ways that we can do that. Um, we'll talk more about that in a minute, but we can, we can, we can teach them from the lives and, and, and the faithfulness of other Christians. Uh, Nicole's family growing up had a habit of, of reading biographies of other Christians. And so uh, not long ago, around our dinner table after dinner, we just sit for another half hour or so, and we read Corey Ten Boom's uh, The Hiding Place. We read uh, Elizabeth Elliot's Through Gates of Splendor. I love reading stories of uh, Christian biography to my children because you get a, like a gospel twofer. Uh, you get the, whatever's happening in the story, and then my kids are asking, like, why is dad crying? Why can't he keep reading? Because I'm so affected by the stories that I'm reading, and I get to tell them, guys, I'm just amazed by the faithfulness of these Christians that have gone before us. What about hospitality? You can do this. Uh, you can pass on the gospel through in hospitality. When you have people over to your house, we love to ask people who come into our home for dinner or whatever else they're hanging out, tell us your story. How'd you become a Christian? I want my kids to hear as many stories as possible of how God worked in other people's lives and saved them. Look, it's not just mom and dad. <laughs> There's other people who have come to know and love Jesus. And so there's so many ways you can do this. And what Psalm 78 teaches us is parents, especially dads, the Lord is so eager to empower your work, your faithful, small though it might be, faltering though it might be, inconsistent, sure, we're all like that. But the Lord wants to use it to pass on the gospel to the coming generation. So don't give up. Think Galatians 6, 7 through 9. Do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap if you do not give up. Be faithful, persistent, and even in the small things, God is eager to empower it. So church and families, we have a mandate to tell the coming generation. Now, fortunately for us, Asaph has not only told us to tell the coming generation, he has also told us what to tell the coming generation. And that's the second point of this sermon, God has given us a message. So if you are a note taker, number two, the message is what to tell the coming generation. And we see this most clearly in verses four and five. So look at verses four and five again. He says, we will not hide them. We will tell to the coming generation. We will tell to the coming generation, here it is, the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. It sounds like three things, but it's really one thing. So bear with me in a second. Then, verse 5, here's the other thing. Number two, he's established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. So, three things that sound like one thing. The glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. And, on the other hand, a testimony in Jacob and a law in Israel. In other words, 
teach them God's works and teach them God's word. Teach them God's works and teach them God's word. First, let's teach them God's works. We are called together as families and as a church to teach the coming generation of God's works. What are these glorious deeds of the Lord that Asaph is referring to? It's actually what the rest of the psalm is about. The entire rest of the psalm, 78 verses, second longest psalm that we have, describes what happens when God's people forget the story. I'll be honest with you. If you sit down in the next day or two and try to read through Psalm 78 front to back, it's tough sledding. It's a hard read. The psalm uses the story of Exodus to illustrate the story of Israel's rebellion. The people of God tank over and over again. And then they experience God's, there's a cycle here. They sin in rebellion. They experience God's anger and judgment. They're eventually brought to a place of repentance. They come back up and they experience God's forgiveness and restoration of his blessings. And then they do it again. Sin. They're brought to repentance. God is faithful. They're restored. They receive God's blessing again. I, I, had a, I, I did an interesting exercise with this psalm. I read it through with four different color highlighters. And I highlighted those things. Israel's rebellion, God's righteous anger, Israel's repentance, God's gracious forgiveness. It's a colorful book, a colorful chapter. There's a lot going on here. If this psalm teaches anything, it teaches that, well, we're sinners. You know, I would have been a pretty good Israelite. Complaining, unfaithful, idolatrous. And if it weren't for God's gracious intervention, I would have just kept on going. This is a story about us, really. But it's not only a story about us. It's a story about God's grace and mercy, God's kindness, His, His initiative towards sinners like us. This psalm teaches that Exodus is the great saving act of God. Next time you read through the Old Testament, watch for how often the story of the Exodus is described as the great saving act of God. How often authors refer back to the Exodus that look what God can do. And as Christians, I think it's good for us to meditate on how Exodus creates a pattern that is repeated in the gospel story. Think about now as Christians, how easy it is for us to take the story of Exodus and just overlay everything that we've received as Christians onto that story and see, huh, look at Exodus. This is how God does it. This is how God likes to work. Slavery to sin. That was our Egypt. We were enslaved to sin, stuck making break, bricks with no straw. Jesus is our Moses. We have a Savior who is capable, called by God to lead us out of slavery and on towards the promised land. And while we wander in the wasteland of this world, we gather the, together with the people of God to meet with God, and He dwells in our midst through the church. And like the Israelites, we eagerly anticipate the day when we will cross over into that promised land and find rest from our toil. The Exodus is our story as Christians. Let's teach the next generation that. Let's teach them the glories of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And the way to teach the next generation God's works is to teach them God's word. We need God's Word for them to understand God's works. So how will they come to know? Through God's Word. So many ways to do this. I alluded to this just a moment ago. We teach the next generation God's Word. 
I know you're doing this already. I can tell from being with your young people. So I know it's happening. I can, I can see it. I can feel it. But this happens so often. There, there, is, there is no more valuable skill than teaching our children to, to read, interpret, understand, apply, love God's Word. I got a lot of skills I want to pass on to my kids. I think there's a lot of things, especially my boys need to know. My wife will take care of stuff my girls need to know. But I want my boys to know how to change a tire and flip an omelet. It's important. Ask a girl out on a date. I mean, there's things they need to know. But most of all, more than any of those things, they need to know how to meet with God every day, how to read and love God's Word. So we started with them when they were really little. When our kids were really little, they would wake up, we'd just leave them on their beds for a while. Because they got up early, man, so we just, we need some time. We kept them on their beds and they would just listen to God's Word. This is before there were like all kinds of MP3 players. I recorded myself reading God's Word and just played it for my kids. But they, we, we, we had them listen to God's Word. As they got older, they got kids' Bibles. As they got a little bit older, they got Bible studies they could fill in. As they got a little bit older, they got the Bibles of their own. Began reading it a few years ago. We challenged our kids. We're going to read through the Bible together in a year. And our kids have been doing that ever since. And so we just work. It's so much fun now as a family to, to be reading the same chapter each day. So we can be at a stoplight. We can be sitting over lunch and, hey, what'd you think about that thing in Ruth this morning? What'd you think about what happened in 2 Corinthians? We can, we can have those conversations and we do that together. What we're doing, what we're doing is telling the next generation of the glorious deeds of the Lord. You don't have to have a degree in Bible to do this. We're just reading it together. We're just talking about it. Kids ask questions. That's a great question. I, let me look. Let's give them a study Bible. Let's see what the notes say about why this thing is or, or what's happening here. We're, we're learning together. We're growing together. We're just, what, what was amazing to you about this? And I want them to hear how much I need it and how much I love it too. Um, so the, the Lord blesses. He loves his word and he loves, he loves it when we pass on the gospel to the next generation through his word. Now, if that's not reason enough to encourage you to tell the coming generation, there is more. Asaph tells us why. So we've seen so far, he has told us to tell the coming generation. We have a mandate. He has told us what to tell the coming generation. We have a message. We also have a motive. Why to tell the coming generation? And this is in verses 6 through 8. Look at verses 6 through 8. Did you notice that verses 6 through 8, each of them begins with the word that. Look at verse 6, that the next generation might know them. Verse 7, so so that they should set their hope in God. Verse 8, and that they should not be like their fathers. He's giving us reasons, a motive to tell the coming generations. And so verse 6, let's start there. He says, here's, here's here's a reason to do this. That, well, to do this, we got to back up. No, let's back up into verse five. (laughs) Look at what it says at the end of verse five, which he commanded our fathers, try to keep track of the generations here, that he he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn. They should arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God. Depending on how you count it, there's at least four generations in view here. 
And I think that's important for us to think about. What it means is what you're doing, parents and church, what you're doing right now, what's happening in that building in Hope Kids right now, will have downstream effects for generations to come. I don't have a whiteboard up here, but if we could do the math, think about how this works. If you have a few kids, each of your kids has a few kids, and maybe some of them have a few kids, within a couple generations, your faithfulness as a parent, you have affected dozens, maybe hundreds of people. Because there are your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, all of their spouses, all of their, what, neighbors, co-workers, sports team members, classmates. <laughs> How many people are potentially affected by your faithfulness to pass on to the next generation? So dads, think, dad, when you come home from work at the end of the day and you feel, man, you're just toast, right? You're too tired. You don't even want to talk too tired to ask the kids about their school or talk about how God helps you at work. Think about this. You're at the dining table. Your dining table is a lot bigger than you realize. There's more than your wife and your kids at that table. Your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren are seated at that table. And the effort, it is effort. It is hard. But the effort that it takes to invest, to ask your kids about their day, to tell them about how God helped you today, to talk about what you read in your Bibles that day, you are sending the gospel downstream to generation after generation after generation. It's a big dining table. Moms, oh moms, every day, every day, you sacrifice your strength for your children. And moms, you do so much. You do stuff that is undone over and over. Meals get eaten. <laughs> you unload a dishwasher, dishes that get dirtied. You clean floors that get walked on. You make beds that get slept in. You do laundry that gets worn and then do it again and again. It's like the beginning of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> All streams run to the sea and they're just never, they never stop. The sea is never full. Moms, you're faithful day in, day out. And in the midst of this, you are talking to your children all the time. You're having conversations with them. You are showing them what it means to be a faithful, peaceful, joyful Christian woman. You don't always feel like that. Of course you don't. But you're doing so much more. The Lord is using your example to do so much more than you realize. And so you should think about these future generations too. Moms, you should, you should have in your mind a picture of a family reunion one day. In heaven, moms, there will be a family reunion one day. And that dining table is not going to be big enough either for not just the children, but the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren and, and their spouses and their friends and the people who your legacy made a difference, your faithfulness made a difference. The Lord sees and remembers and records and will one day reward every single act of faithfulness. Day after day, as you, as you around the breakfast table are answering all those questions from those little kids, why, why? Again and again, you're doing it. As you sit on the edge of the bed and tuck them in at night, read them a story, the Lord knows, the Lord remembers. He loves it. There's a big dining table for that family reunion that will one day honor every sacrifice and service, moms, that you have made. It's a delight to think about. And so this psalm goes on. There's more reasons 
More reasons why we should tell the coming generation. That was verse 6. Verse 7, so that they should set their hope in God. Verse 7. You see what it says here? So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Set their hope in God, not forget, keep. It's a good sequence. This is kind of how the life of faith works, right? There's a progression here. In other words, set their hope that they should know, that they should remember, that they should they should know that they know, and then that they would act on what they remember. It would lead to obedience. Our goal, our aim is for obedience. So young people, so let me say something to all the students. I've talked to you a lot this weekend, but I'll talk to you again. Young people, this psalm is about you. It is for you. You will one day become the adults in this church who are then passing on the gospel to the next generation. It's not too early for you to start. Some of you, you might be eight or nine years old. You might be 14 or 15 years old. You can already start setting an example for the next generation. You can start telling kids younger than you about Jesus. Why not? Go for it. They want to hear it. There's nothing cooler. You know what it's like. There's not, if you're like six or seven, there's nothing cooler than like an 11-year-old talking to you. If you're 10, right? If you're a teenager, man, if you're 10, there's nothing cooler than a 16-year-old talking to you. You can start telling the coming generation. And here's what we're after. Did you see what it says in verse 8? Young people, to keep his commandments. God wants you to put your hope in Christ, in Jesus Christ, that you would hope in him and then keep his commandments. Fancy word for that in the Bible? There's a real fancy word for that. Obey. The Lord loves obedience. He wants us to do what he says to do and not do what he says not to do. The Lord wants you to obey. There was a pastor about 120 years ago named J.C. Ryle. And he said, in a little book he wrote for parents, he said, obedience is the only reality. It is faith working, faith alive. And so, young people, follow Jesus Christ. Follow your parents and the other adults in this church as they follow Jesus Christ. When we tell these stories, now, church, families, when we tell these stories, we are giving our kids the tools and the training to obey God. We are carving channels in their minds and in their hearts, in their thinking and in their feeling, their pathways for understanding and knowing God and following Him. So let's tell these stories. We plant, we water, but God gives the growth. Again, don't grow weary in doing good. And then verse 8 is so that, the last of the that's, so that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast. This is a hard verse to end on because it's a warning, and it's not a flattering picture of the parents and the generations that have gone before. It's a warning. It's so that, though, it's so that the next generation will not harden their hearts. It's sobering to think that we are potentially ever, always, as Christians, as the church, the church has always only been one generation away from extinction. D.A. Carson is a theologian. He makes this point in a number of his writings, and he says the church is only one generation from extinction. The next generation could harden their hearts. And so we tell these stories so they won't, and so that the gospel message will continue on generation after generation, year after year, life after life. And so this is a warning, but it's a gracious warning. God gives these warnings and he gives grace to all those who heed them. So as parents and church, we heed this warning by faithfully telling the coming generation, young people, God is warning you too. 
And you heed this warning by listening and obeying. And if we do, we can avoid everything that happens in the rest of the song, the cycle of disobedience, repentance, and so on. We can instead enjoy fellowship with God to know Him and to serve Him. And so we tell these stories so that the coming generation might know the glorious deeds of the Lord. All of this is meant to accomplish the same generational storytelling that happens in the Whitaker family, in your family, and in this church, and has happened as long as God has had a people for Himself. When we tell the story of the gospel from our own lives and from the lives of other Christians, and especially from this book, we are shaping the next generation. So parents and church, let's tell the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might. As we do, let's expect, let's come with faith, let's expect that God is going to work in the next generation so that they would rise up behind us to tell their children. And let's pray that God will empower all of our efforts to that end. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and the glorious deeds of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that are recorded there. Father, thank you that you are good and faithful God. And there has never been a generation that did not know your word And in every generation, there have been many who you have called and you have summoned to yourself and you have saved by grace. Father, we pray for the next generation in Risen Hope Church. We pray that you would continue the good work that you've begun among them and bring it to completion, carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And Lord, we pray that they would rise up and take a place after us as the next generation. They would tell their kids and their kids after them, Lord, we know that you are faithful and that you love to work in generation after generation. And Lord, I thank you that there are many generations represented in this church. We pray that you would continue to prosper the transmission of your word from one generation to the next. Would you please do this for your glory, for the sake of your name, the good of the generation yet to come. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, whom we love with all our hearts. Amen.